Welcome to Sunny in Seattle with your host, Sunny Joy. And coming up on today's show, Sunny will be chatting with Ellen Grace O'Brien, an esteemed yoga teacher and director of the Center of Spiritual Enlightenment in San Jose, California. The two of them will be discussing her latest book, The Jewel of Abundance. So tune in and learn about an overlooked aspect of yoga, its powerful teachings on prosperity. And now I welcome your host for the day, Sunny Joy. And good morning. Welcome to Sunny in Seattle. I'm your host, attorney turned life coach, Sunny Joy McMillan. And we're here every Friday from 9 to 10 a.m. on Alternative Talk 1150 a.m. KKNW, bringing you amazing coaches, teachers, authors, and healers who are on a mission to encourage you, inspire you, and give you tools to live a life filled with peace, joy, freedom, and purpose. It is radio that positively shines. And if you can't catch the show live, you can always access those show archives at 1150kknw.com. Um, and you can also find out more about me, connect with me for coaching, find out more about my practice through my website, which is goldenoversoul.com. That's goldenoversoul.com. And a quick reminder that you can still, of course, my book is now available um, through um, major bookstores and Amazon. And the book is Unhitched, Unlock Your Courage and Clarity to Unstick Your Bad Marriage. But if you want to download a copy for free, I am still got that little website set up where you can do that. Um, feel free to share that with a friend, anyone really who is feeling a little bit stuck, um, unhappy, um, questioning what to do when it comes to their marriage or you know long-term relationship. And the website to go to to download that book is unhitchedbook.com. That's unhitchedbook.com. And the book really provides part of my own story of going from a high-conflict marriage to a really beautiful post-divorce friendship with my ex-husband. Um, but it's also a part manual, and uh, it will give you the tools that you need to really answer those tough questions. Also to be able to give you some guidance when it comes to figuring out how to get divorced gracefully, if that's the choice that you want to make, and everything in between. So I encourage you to download that book and share it if you know anyone who needs it. That's unhitchedbook.com. Um, so we're going to jump right in with our fabulous guest today, who I'm very excited about. Um, as my listeners know, um, we love New World Library, and they do a lot of beautiful beautiful books um, out into the world. And one of their newest authors, um, actually, she has many books out there, but this latest book, uh, The Jewel of Abundance, we're going to be discussing here today. The author is Ellen Grace O'Brien, and she is the director of the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment in San Jose, California. Ellen is a yogacharya, an esteemed yoga teacher, a radio host, and an award-winning poet who weaves poetry into her teachings on spiritual matters, pointing to the mystical experience beyond words and thought. Ordained by a direct disciple of Paramhansa Yogananda, she has been teaching Kriya Yoga philosophy and practice nationally and internationally for over three decades. You can find out more about her by going online to ellengraceobrien.com. That's ellengraceobrien.com. And the book is, again, The Jewel of Abundance, Finding Prosperity Through the Ancient Wisdom of Yoga. Yogacharya O'Brien, how are you? Welcome to the show. I'm great. And I'm so delighted to be with you and your listeners this morning. Thanks so much for the invitation. Absolutely. And did am I saying that word right, Yogacharya? 
Absolutely. Okay. Um, <laughs> it's kind of a fancy word that really means um, teacher of yoga, but it it is referring um, to yoga philosophy rather than what we ordinarily think of as yoga as, you know, hatha yoga form of exercise. So this is um, yoga philosophy, meditation, it's practice and like that. Ah, okay. And I, that's not a term that I've heard very often. So I assume it, to be given that designation is a bit of an honor. It is. It's a it's a title kind of like reverend or, you know, it has a, a nice um, connotation to it. It, it. it should mean that you know something, hopefully. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yes. Well, and also I know that you were you are a, uh, a follower, a student of Roy Eugene Davis, who was a direct disciple of Yogananda. Um, and I'm curious, how did you come to know Roy Eugene Davis and, and to be one of his students? Well, he has been, you know, he met Paramahansa Yogananda, uh, Mr. Davis, when Mr. Davis was 18 years old, and oh. um, he was living in the Midwest and in, in the U.S. on a farm, and he got a copy of Paramahansa Yogananda's book, The Autobiography of a Yogi, which, of course, is very famous today, but that was in 1949, mm. and uh, so he read the book, and he just knew that was his teacher, that was his path, so he hitchhiked uh, <laughs> to California to meet Paramahansa Yogananda. He was accepted for training there and uh, ultimately ordained <clears throat> in that organization. And so uh, since that time, you know, of him meeting uh, Paramahansa Yogananda, he has been teaching and traveling all over the world. And for me, uh, that was the blessing of getting to meet him. And on my journey, that was 1979. Mm. Um, I, I just went to a lecture where he was teaching. And um, I found in what he taught the kind of practical spirituality that I was looking for. Mm, that's beautiful. And it's just so funny to me when I think about the the folks who were really felt called to do something a little bit unique. And I would imagine... I. I Correct me if I'm wrong, but you know, amongst your peers or amongst the time, that that was a pretty brave choice to make to to, <laughs> <laughs> to choose that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and uh, we've had this trajectory of um, uh, Americans becoming aware of yoga um, in its depth and its breadth. You know, even today. Um, the majority of Americans, and I'm finding that, you know, as I'm going around talking about this book, that many people still think of yoga simply as physical exercise, and they're not aware of the um, amazing philosophical root. You know, yoga itself is one of the six um, systems of Indian philosophy. That That's where it comes from. Mm -hmm. And the physical part of it um, is really taught as a support for meditation. But in America, you know, that's what we've run with is um, the fitness part of it. And so there's a dawning, you know, in America, even today, of people becoming aware of what is this philosophy of yoga? What is this philosophical system? So my book draws from that and tries to give um, some helpful insights into that. Yes. And uh, the, the, of course, the title is The Jewel of Abundance, Finding Prosperity Through the Ancient Wisdom of Yoga. And I'm curious why you felt called to write this book, because it does, as you mentioned, it's not one of the, the parts of yoga that I think many people are familiar with. 
<laughs> well, that's one of the reasons. Oh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> totally, that's one of the reasons. But um, uh, and the other one is in the book. You know, I'm writing about the um, the Vedas offer us um, four universal aims for a spiritually conscious. Um, happy, fulfilled life. And um, one of those goals is dharma. And, you know, that word is becoming more familiar today to people yes. uh, in the West, you know, and they they connect it with purpose, which it is, living with higher purpose. So I've found over the years that, that students were very interested in dharma. You know, how do I live a spiritually conscious life? How do I live my purpose with heart and meaning? But then they're totally surprised to find out that the second goal of life is actually wealth mm. and, and how to put those two together, you know, a spiritual life and a prospering life. Um, so many of the spiritual traditions have, you know, have this flashing red light, you know, um, if you want to have a spiritual life, um, forget about prospering, right? Right, right. <laughs> Yeah. And, and how would you define, since we're talking about prosperity, what does that mean to you? Well, for me, a prosperous life is a life in which we, we thrive and in which the soul, our essence of being is allowed to express fully. So we're, you know, we, we are able to fulfill our potential and we're able to draw to us the resources that we need to do that. And, and that's why those two goals are found together, because there's the, um, direction, you know, to, to live a fulfilled life. And in order to be fulfilled, we, we need, we need to do what we're here to do. You know, we need to fulfill our, um, our unique purpose and our overarching purpose of, you know, waking up uh, to the truth of our being. But in order to express ourselves fully and to do what we need to do, we, we have to know how to work with resources in the universe. And, um, you know, and how to have healthy relationships. And, you know, all of that has to do with wealth, with prosperity. So it's not just money, although money is not excluded from it. Okay. And yeah, because I, I would love to share one of my favorite quotes that I'd highlighted in my preparation was around, you know, what true wealth is. Um, and, and you write that the measure of our wealth is our ability to be in prosperous flow in the prosperous flow of resources that allow us to readily and abundantly do what we need to do, have what we need to have, and experience what we need to experience. True wealth is access to resources on all levels, physical, mental, emotional, spiritual. And that is such a beautiful definition that encompasses so much more than I'd ever um, associated with wealth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know, thank you for reading that, Sunny. And you know, the other reason that I wrote the book, you know, besides wanting to help um, students on the spiritual path make that connection, I really think it's a conversation um, for the larger um, population. Um, you know, our our nation and our world is so out of balance with regard to wealth that has been sort of, you know, crystallized as money. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so we have this great imbalance, um, with that. And I think a lack of understanding of what true wealth is and what its purpose is and why it's important to, um, gather our wealth ethically 
and why it's important to connect it to spirituality. So we see one another um, as equals. So we see the earth as sacred. You know, there's so much that's contained in the vision of, you know, I say, let's stop dividing it up, you know, like putting our wealth and our success in one corner and our spirituality in another that just doesn't work well. And we see, we're seeing the effects of that. Right, absolutely. And you know, you you mentioned this earlier that in many uh, wisdom or religious traditions, in any event, that that often there is that big red light around money that that somehow um, perhaps prosperity could distract from our spiritual path. And so, I'm curious, you know, why do you think that is that for so many traditions that there has been this prohibition on wealth? Or do you think it's just been a misunderstanding of the texts, perhaps? I'm, I'm just wondering where that came from. <laughs> I think... Um... I think that it's a, a, a both, um, kind of a both and, mm-hmm. you know, all the spiritual traditions have that flashing red light and in, 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 um, in a useful way, you know, what they're telling us is that we should not become, um, distracted by desire. And, you know, the, um, the Christian scripture, you know, the love of money is the, is the root of evil. Um, people have interpreted that as the, the problem with money. But I think when we look at it, we can say, no, the problem is where your love is, right? (laughs) (laughs) where your, you know, what you're hoping is going to bring you the happiness and the fulfillment that you're seeking. So I think all the traditions have um, a useful um, caution about that has to do with the nature of desire and greed. And uh, when we're not spiritually awake, we're, we're looking out into the world and into the things of the world to bring us fulfillment. And um, according to the teachings of yoga, and I think, you know, we can verify that in our own experience pretty quickly, um, that the things in the world are temporary. And so they cannot provide us lasting fulfillment. <laughs> you know, they sort of come and go. So, um, you know, if we don't know that, then we keep, you know, then we think the fault is with the thing, you know, we think, well, it was that job, or, you know, it was that car, or it oh, was yes. that person, I need to just get another one, right. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, so it cautions us against that. But I don't think that we've seen too much uh, clear teaching about what we need to do to have the right relationship with material uh, wealth and material goods. So I really appreciated what the yoga tradition has to tell us about that. Yes, and and um, I'll just share here another another quote that I that I really liked, um, and this is around. I'm so glad that you have brought this work forward because I think it is filling a gap where a lot of people need a little bit of um, help in understanding that that prosperity and spirituality can be, um, or actually should be encouraged to be experienced together. Um, So you write that it's a revolutionary approach to wealth, one that challenges the old paradigm that wealth is separate from spirituality and only for a select few. It's a universal life goal. It's life's imperative, and it's available to everyone. Um, That that does seem revolutionary to me when I hear that. I mean, how can that be true? Because it seems so divided right now, um, uh, the the way that that we're approaching uh, wealth. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really is. And I and I think the mindset, you know, behind it, um, you know, the lack of understanding about the spiritual nature of life itself, about the spiritual nature of uh, other uh, human beings, about the spiritual nature of the earth and our resources, you know, has has led to the kinds of injustices that we have around wealth and resources, you know. Um, so that's, that's a very deep and profound problem that we have, and we need to solve it. And I, you know, I think about, you know, that the quote, I think it's, you know, attributed to Einstein, that we can't solve a problem at the level that we created it. Right. So, um, you know, this teaching tells us, you know, we need to learn to understand where this error um, comes from that has given rise to this vast inequality. And um, when I look to the yoga tradition, you know, what I find is that first and foremost, our purpose in life is to wake up. Mm. And what that means is to understand life as this one uh, ultimate reality that is expressing is all that is and mm. um, that that we're constantly in relationship with that, you know, with a capital T. Mm-hmm. And, and, and we are that. And so... Um, we want to learn. So this this um, pursuit of wealth is learning how to cooperate uh, with the infinite, how to be in an ethical and right relationship with others and with the earth and, and so forth. Yes, and that actually that brings in, um, I loved that, that the title is, of course, The Jewel of Abundance. Um, but I was going to ask you, what exactly is The Jewel of Abundance? Because I loved your your what you said about that. And I'm happy to share the quote that I pulled as well, if you want yeah, sure. Go on, go ahead with that, and then I'll I'll fill in any gaps that are there. Perfect. Okay. So manifesting jewels is a metaphor that signifies one who is spiritually awake, self-aware, content, and self-reliant, and naturally attracts the very best in life. Oh, that was beautiful. Mm, yeah. So, you know, what that points to is that, you know, we ourselves are the jewel of abundance. <laughs> you know, our own consciousness, um, awakened consciousness can draw to us um, what we need uh, to fulfill our purpose. And so let me just say um, that <clears throat> this teaching on wealth, <clears throat> excuse me, is is always... Um, constrained or guided by uh, dharma or Mm -hmm. this um, goal to live your life with higher purpose. So wealth is never pulled out like something that we're getting for its own sake, Mm -hmm. but we're, um, we're learning how to thrive and how to prosper because that's that's part of how we fulfill our potential. It's part of how we make a contribution um, to life. So, let me just say about the jewel of abundance that title is is actually taken from the classical text on yoga, which is um, Patanjali's Yoga Sutra. Many people are studying that today, but um, in there, there are some guidelines to spiritually conscious ethical living, and um, and one and one of the guidelines is um, a guideline for prospering. Mm-hmm. And it says that the person who is established in non-stealing experiences the jewel of abundance. Mm. So, you know, we kind of have to unpack that. And I, that's one of the things that I found that people are really 
um, surprised about and thoughtfully reflective about, you know, what does it mean to be non-stealing? And um, this philosophy of yoga looks at it on all levels, you know, from the physical level is the most basic, you know, like don't, don't take stuff that right. doesn't belong to you, you know, don't steal, don't shoplift, don't, um, you know, appropriate goods that, that are not yours. So that's very basic. Um, and then, you know, um, mentally, at the mental level, we, we learn to um, stop envying, you know, to get out of the trap of jealousy. And, um, and then even spiritually, it goes very deep to having us understand that in, a, in, in the deepest sense, nothing belongs to us, right? <laughs> you know, we, we can't take anything with us when we go. We're here as stewards of the, of, of the goods in life. So we look at it on all these levels, but, you know, what it always comes down to is changing our mind from lack to wholeness or lack to abundance. So because any form of stealing that we have comes from the idea of not enough. Yeah, I was really fascinated by that concept of non-stealing. I actually pulled several quotes around it because I thought, oh, originally, and I know I did a very limited study of some of the, um, some of the Vedic texts back in a religious studies course that I did in college. And I do remember the non-stealing concept, but it was a very, I think I had it very oversimplified in my mind. And I loved the way that you describe it in your book because it really expanded the definition for me to encompass um, so much more. Um, And I'll just share here. As spiritual beings, we are inseparable from the source. Its wholeness is our wholeness. Its sufficiency is our sufficiency and its wealth our wealth. Aware of our own wholeness and our ability to attract necessary resources, we have no compulsion to steal or take what is not rightfully ours. Rather rather than offering the restrictive imperative, thou shalt not steal, yoga points to the change in consciousness that accompanies true wealth. And I thought, oh, this is beautiful. It almost brings in the law of attraction that I know a lot of folks that Mm -hmm. listen to our station uh, practice or at least are, you know, follow to a degree. Um, And I just thought, what a beautiful, expansive definition of non-stealing that, that, like you said, it's, it's, um, any form of stealing is a, is an affirmation of lack. So Mm -hmm. when we live in that place of being tied to source, we don't have the need to steal anything. Exactly. And then, you know, the part about attracting the the jewel of abundance or, you know, sometimes the verse says all jewels will come to that person. Um, And that, you know, you're talking about the law of attraction. You know, we we can see in a very um, simple way, you know, like if you're ever around somebody who's trying to get something from you, Mm -hmm. um, you know, who's who's needy and, you know, who who you just feel like you're going to be used, you know, by that person, you you want to shy away. Um, You don't really want to be part of that. But when you're with somebody who um, is grounded in their own fullness, their own abundance, their own own sufficiency, their own fulfillment, um, you just feel drawn to that person. You know, you just kind of want to be um, in their um, orbit, you know. Yeah. It's, it, it, and so this, this verse says, you know, these jewels that we attract are not only um, resources, but also they're the jewels of the kind of people that we want to be with. Oh, yes, that's perfect. 
Well, so then as you're on this journey or one is on the journey of wanting to fulfill this this prosperity and that that is available to us, what are some of the biggest mistakes that you see people making when they do try to prosper? Well, I think the biggest mistake that that I see and and the one that, you know, I just didn't know about. And so I was kind of making that mistake for years, which is not not knowing that it's natural for us to prosper. Mm. So, um, you know, yoga itself, um, the philosophy and the term means union. Um, it means bringing our attention and our awareness to consciously abide in our essential nature as whole, you know, as complete. And so that that kind of fundamental error is a mistaken sense of our identity. You know, we somehow feel um, we're identified with the body, the mind, with the ego self, and we think we're, you know, we're incomplete. Um, and so we go out looking for something or someone um, to complete us. And um, yoga tells us, no, you, you really need to just turn that around and understand and, and know and actually experience your own wholeness. And then um, do what you need to do in the world to participate. And prosperity is a natural outpicturing of that understanding. Well, and I think that's interesting. Um, it, it, I'm curious from from your perspective, when we are surrounded by messaging as a culture um, and from family of origin, from some other religious traditions that I don't think really support our wholeness, how do you how do you extract yourself from that to really be able to live in that wholeness, to really fully believe it and not fall prey to some of the messaging that's out there that tells us the exact opposite? Yeah, it's true. Um, I think, you know, it requires discipline. And on the path that I follow of, of Kriya Yoga, the first practice that we have, um, we have, you know, just three basic practices, but the first one is self-discipline. Mm. And that means to to live your life in harmony with your with your soul. Um, and so that means that, that we need to take time every day, you know, to connect with that. Um, it means, you know, not to allow, or it means that we kind of monitor our energy. We don't allow ourselves to become too, um, off balance or dissipated by, um, those kinds of messages. So it's that balance of staying connected to your self to your truth of your life and then not allowing yourself to get too distracted or you know off balance by the daily news feed yes yes I am <laughs> in my mm. own way I definitely do that myself because I find if I get too polluted by what's going on out there I lose my connection or I don't know that I forget about my connection let's say that I don't know the connection is ever lost but yeah <laughs> yes there's definitely some discipline involved in that well, um, why don't we go ahead? We're going to take our break, um, and when we come back, we will continue our conversation around this beautiful new book, The Jewel of Abundance, Finding Prosperity Through the Ancient Wisdom of Yoga. I'm joined today by Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien. You are listening to Sunny in Seattle. I'm your host, Sunny Joy. We will be back in just a few. Are you ready to get unstuck from a bad marriage and embrace your best life? If you're anything like me, you may have spent years creating a life that looks pretty good on paper. There's just one problem. Your marriage is unhappy and unfulfilling, but you're too scared to trade your comfortable life for a future full of unknowns. 
In my new book, Unhitched, I will give you the tools you need to make the right decisions about your marriage, as well as the confidence that your future can be better and brighter than you can even imagine. I share my own very personal story, and I will guide you through a clear process that will enable you to answer the question, should I stay or should I go? It's a process that will help you tune out fears and unwanted advice, and instead tune into your own intuition and inner wisdom, as well as exit a marriage gracefully and feel secure about your future. Get ready to trade confusion and stagnation for your best life. Unhitched, unlock your courage and clarity and unstick your bad marriage. Available for pre-order today on Amazon.com. Every winter, up to 20 million tons of salt are applied to U.S. roads. Road salt can keep drivers safe. But when too much salt is applied on roads, it can pollute streams, kill fish, and increase salt levels in our drinking water. The good news is we can protect water quality and keep drivers safe. You can help. Join the Isaac Walton League's Winter Salt Watch to receive a free stream test kit. Then, simply dip the test strip in your stream to measure the salt level. Use your smartphone to share your results on the Winter Salt Watch map. If the salt levels in your stream are too high, the Isaac Walton League can share ways other communities are reducing salt usage. Ask for your free test kit today. To get yours, go to saltwatch.org. That's saltwatch.org. Sunny in Seattle, radio that positively shines. It's time that you are heard, and I don't mean in just a conversation. I mean really heard. Imagine hosting your very own radio program on Alternative Talk 1150. Talk about being heard. Call 425-653-1150 right now to learn how affordable it can be to host your own radio show. Time slots are going fast, so take hold of this chance by dialing 425-653-1150. Alternative Talk, we have an opportunity waiting just for you. Talk radio for the heart and soul. Alternative Talk 1150. Okay, and welcome back to Sunny in Seattle. I'm your host, Sunny Joy, joined today by Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien, who has just released a fantastic new book that we are discussing here today, The Jewel of Abundance, Finding Prosperity Through the Ancient Wisdom of Yoga. Um, so before we dive back in around the book, Ellen, um, I am just curious, you know, from your perspective there's a lot going on out there today in the world. It can be pretty chaotic no matter what side you are on. And I'm just curious, from the tradition that you follow, where are we right now as humans? I mean, what is happening in this time of ours? Is it an awakening of sorts or what do you see? Um, yeah, according to my spiritual tradition, uh, we are in a time of um, awakening, um, the awakening of uh, all humanity to the truth of our being and, and to our potential. And and I actually see that for us um, in our communities and in our nation. You know, it just right now, it seems like a really rough time. Um, but I see it as a time of um, awakening, you know, so we're, we're dealing with so many of the obstacles, you know, that have held us back. Mm-hmm. And um, it's, a, it's a beautiful time of opportunity, you know, of people having the opportunity to get clear and um, to bring forth the, the higher good. And so I see it as a time of awakening and a time of opportunity. So um, 
you know, it can look sometimes like we're going backwards, <laughs> like, geez, are we dealing with that again? <laughs> um, but I think, you know, it's that way in our own lives as well. You know, we think we have done cleared something up, you know, <laughs> did you ever notice that you think you cleared something right. up? And then later on, you know, there it is again. But I think that it it's just an opportunity to to really um, to deal with it in a in a very deep way, and to make the kinds of um, shifts that we need to make in our um, consciousness, um, in our as 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 I've said, in our relationships with ourselves, with one another, with the earth. Um, so it's a beautiful time, stressful but beautiful. Absolutely, I I very much agree with that. And on that note. I've noticed, especially, for example, as a coach working with folks that come through my office that are um, really searching for meaning. And you write that our desire for a meaningful life is even greater than our desire for happiness. And I was wondering if you could say a bit more by what you mean by that. Yes, thank you. Um, I think it's just a fundamental need that we have um, to feel uh, connected mm-hmm. um, to feel that our lives um, have a purpose and meaning to them. And um, so I, I meant that, you know, for each of us, we have that um, basic urge, you know, to know the truth of our being and then um, to contribute, you know. Uh, you know, someone was once asked, you know, what would it be like if we couldn't contribute, you know, if there was nothing that we could contribute, mm. you know, how difficult that would be. And um, so I think we do, we, we want to know the truth of what we are. And once we know that we're, um, you know, that we're divine beings, we're connected to everyone and everything, we, we want to be able to participate and to share and to, and that gives our, our life um, a deeper meaning than just any search for personal happiness. Yes. And, and that also brings up the, the subject of thriving, which you write about um, in the book and, and what it, it, what it really takes to prosper and be successful in harmony with spiritual principles. And you write about the, the book is structured, um, the five parts of the book correlate to these five attributes you write about. And I was just curious if you could talk a little bit about what thriving really requires of us. Uh, yeah, I think it requires us to um, study <laughs> and to practice and to be intentional. So the way the book is structured, you know, it begins with um, understanding what higher purpose is in life um, and to set this foundation upon our hearts, you know, to live a life of higher purpose. You know, my, my teacher said, you know, it's really important to distinguish this. If you're talking about dharma, it, it is to live your life with higher purpose. You know, some people can have a purpose in life, but it may not be that useful. Mm-hmm. So we want to think in terms of what is our higher purpose, which is how do I serve life? Mm-hmm. You know, how, how, how do I serve life? And so we, we want to look at, well, you know, who, who am I and, um, what am I here to do in, in that highest way? And then, you know, we need insight, you know, we need the, the skills I mentioned that, you know, we, we want to, um, 
be able to change our minds yeah. <laughs> from from lack to abundance. And, and there are some skills that are offered on the path of yoga that are really helpful um, with regard to that. You know, fundamental one is meditation, you know, how to get beyond um, our thought process and be able to just consciously experience our essence of being our essential nature and um, and learning how to realize what um, what fulfillment is, um, what actually um, self-discipline can be in terms of a joyous path, <laughs> not a punishing path. Uh-huh. Um, and then, you know, clarity um, in terms of how do we overcome uh, the obstacles that we meet in life, you know, because sure enough, we're, we're going to meet them. And one of the things I talk about in the book is one of the great obstacles that we have is the idea that we're not going to have any, right. you know, the, <laughs> the idea that, okay, you know, I've found my right path. I know what I'm here to do. And so that, you know, the, the gates should just open for me. <laughs> And, um, and they do, but, you know, we, we need to understand that our, our prospering path is about self-development. You know, it's, it, it's part of our spiritual unfoldment, learning how to thrive and prosper. So it's not for its own sake, you know, in, in a way it's like, we could call it soul culture. You know, it's, it's part of honing who we are as human beings, um, becoming, you know, clearer. So clarity. And then the last, you know, is kind of the, what do they call it? The, this, the, uh, spoiler mm-hmm. of the book is that, you know, we're really here to become wealth itself, to learn how to be a generous, um, giving, uh, grateful person. Yes. And in talking about higher purpose, that was that first part, or we've talked a bit about Dharma and really people wanting to align with their purpose. One of the questions that has come up in in my own life, particularly, but I've heard clients talk about this as well, is that when we are, when the, the, this question about what if what your higher power, God, spirit, whatever you want to call it, what if what that higher power wants for my life is not what I want? <laughs> and you had a beautiful Yeah, I quote. love that. You know, <laughs> yeah. most people run into that when they, you know, and certainly I did, you mm-hmm. know, when you, when you start thinking about really deeply living a spiritual life and, you know, however you think of God, you know, as spirit, um, as the divine incarnation, as the oversoul, however you think of it, you, you come to this juncture of understanding that if you're going to live a spiritual life, it's going to, um, require surrendering to that higher power. And then, and then up pops this idea of like, well, wait a minute, you know, this is my life. And, you know, what if, what that, higher power <laughs> thinks is a good idea is not what I think is a good idea. Yeah. Um, but the a fundamental error behind that, of course, is what, what yoga points to as, as the big problem, which is the identification with the ego and somehow thinking that we're separate, mm-hmm. you know, from the source and we're not. And so if we can get that, we would understand that what the source wants for us, um, or is inclined, you know, to support in us is what we most deeply want um, ourselves because we're not separate. <laughs> That's, so in a way, you can think of, you know, um, this this path as as allowing life itself 
um, to prosper us because that's its tendency, you know, to bring all things to um, fulfillment of their purpose. And so um, living the spiritual life is learning how to align with that. And what it wants, a capital I, uh-huh. is not going to be different from what you want in in your heart of hearts. Yes, and I love the way that you put this in the book and you write this question, you know, of asking what if what God wants for my life is not what I want. This question is like the way of asking what if the ocean doesn't want what I want. <laughs> oh, that's so beautiful and so true. Um, <laughs> so what do you tell folks then who are really wanting to find that purpose? I hear a lot of people talking about that. So if they're having a hard time finding that life purpose, what advice do you offer those folks? That is a question, you know, people have a lot. And um, I think some of the confusion around it arises with people thinking of dharma uh, or life purpose as vocation, Mm. um, as a job, you know. So they start thinking, you know, right away, well, what is it that I'm supposed to be doing? Mm -hmm. And um, I think it's much more um, helpful to think about what is it that, or who is it that I am to become, you know, in, in the fulfillment of my purpose, you know, to, to bring forth the divine qualities that are within me, you know, who am I to become? And so we kind of think of, you know, what do I need to become mm-hmm. um, to fulfill my potential? And and uh, and that doesn't necessarily bring more clarity initially either for people. So right. I tell them, well, look into your childhood, you know, kind of look back and see if you can find this sort of thread in your life of these divine qualities that have always been there. And that Mm. usually works well for people. You know, they look back and they say, well, gee, as a child, you know, I was really compassionate. You know, I was the one who was, you know, taking in that little animals and taking Mm -hmm. care of them or, or I was, you know, really, um, interested in science, you know, I was collecting bugs and, Mm -hmm. you know, or, you know, or I was, um, just, um, I wanted to sing and dance, you know, so, so these qualities are there with us and they're there very early on and we can identify them and, and begin to explore, well, what would it be like to let the spirit of that quality really blossom in your life? And as we look at Dharma as developing these divine qualities, these sort of that are in seed form in us, then vocation is a secondary thing that just naturally um, comes forth from us when we are fulfilling that potential of, of who we are. Yes, absolutely. And you also talk about, you know, nudges from the infinite that maybe will offer glimpses into life's higher potentials. And I was wondering if you could give us some examples of that. Well, you know, nudges, I think, are, um, <laughs> there's some like, they're invitations, you know, like we, we experience some openings to possibility and, um, doors will open for us, you know, um, like that. Um, so I think that's probably what I meant when I wrote that, that just, just, um, 
it comes down to learning how to be in a cooperative relationship with the infinite, you know, not mm-hmm. seeing yourself as separate from life, but right. seeing yourself in this um, amazing, conscious, um, beautiful, grace-filled life that is all the time, you know, calling forth our potential. So, you know, whether that's um, a door opening that just feels, you know, easy and delightful, or whether it's a door opening that feels hard, um, you know, maybe a door opens and, you know, there's a relationship to heal and forgiveness is required and that feels hard. But if you understand that life is nudging you into the fullness of your own being, then, you know, these, these nudges from the infinite are, in a sense, welcomed. Yes, absolutely. And I was thinking when I was reading that, I thought, I wonder what uh, what you if you have any nudges in your own life that have been basically the the nudges that you needed to put you in the path that you are on now. If you had any that you would love to share, and while you're thinking about that, I also want to make sure that folks know that um, uh, Yogacharya uh, uh, O'Brien will be here in Seattle um, very, very shortly. On Monday, March 11th, she'll be doing an event at the Interfaith Community Sanctuary right here in Seattle on 62nd Street. Um, And also another event at one of our favorites, East West Bookshop, Um, of course, um, that will be on Wednesday, March 13th at from 7.30 to 9 p.m. Um, and so we can talk a little bit about what you'll be doing there, um, Ellen. But I didn't know if you wanted to share anything from your own life that where you felt those nudges that have really led you where you are. Oh, there's been so many. <laughs> and I think, you know, when we're on a prospering path, you know, we just start to pay attention to those. And I, I, I've written about um, several of them in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of them I, I can just think of now, you know, just um, one of the great nudges that happened for me was becoming a mother, mm. you know, and um, at the birth of my first child, my, my daughter, I remember, you know, the experience of holding her and I can still, you know, I mean, it's been many, many years now, but I can still remember, you know, holding her and just feeling the miracle, you know, of this little life and also the, you know, um, how um, awesome it was and how frightening it was (laughs) to have this little being, you know, that you're, um, responsible for their care. And then I kind of had this wave that came over me of, um, of gratitude, of kind of awe and gratitude. And, and it, and then it opened my heart in a way that I didn't um, expect. And that was that all of a sudden I felt connected to all the mothers all over the earth, you know, who might be holding their child in the same way. Mm-hmm. And I realized that, it, you know, at that time in my life, I wasn't, you know, I didn't have a lot of money, but, you know, here I was living in, in the West and um, I had enough. And if my daughter was sick, I had a doctor I could take her to. I had, you know, resources to have food to be able to feed her. I had clothes for her. And all of a sudden, you know, the nudge that I got was this sense that what it could be like to be a mother, to be holding your child and know that you did not have those resources. Mm. And so it just broke my heart and it really kind of started me on a pathway of, you know, wanting to um, serve in some way that would be supportive of, um, 
you know, families of mothers and children in particular. And not long after that, I, I went and, and volunteered for for UNICEF. You know, there was a little UNICEF center that was close to where I was living, and, and I went and volunteered there. So it was kind of a nudge um, that came, you know, from the universe, but came happened inside my heart. Oh, that's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that story. That's really beautiful. Um, well, and I did mention that you were going to be here in Seattle, and uh, that will be actually next week. Um, and so we've got on Monday, March 11th at 7 p.m., you'll be at the Interfaith Community Sanctuary. Um, do you mind telling us a little bit about what you'll be doing there? Um, I will be um, speaking about the jewel of abundance, this mm-hmm. conversation we're having now. And um, that's a free program. It is open to everyone. So you're all invited. And uh, I'm, I'm going to be talking about life and dynamic balance about these four goals of life, you know, and how they support us in living in the highest way. Yes. And then, of course, Wednesday, March 13th, at, from 730 to 9, you will be at East West Bookshop. And um, will that be something similar or what can folks expect there? Um, yeah, I think it will be um, similar, and um, but it'll be different, I'm sure. <laughs> so, <laughs> so um, you know, a couple of things that I've been really pointing out is, um, you know, how to live in dynamic balance in this lifetime, you know, where we feel pulled in so many different directions. And then um, also looking at, you know, well, how do we experience true abundance? You know, what are the tools that we need for that? So um, I'll be talking about those things in in both of those uh, occasions. Beautiful. And so just again, for those out there, if you want to find out more um, for the Monday, March 11th event, just go to interfaithcommunitysanctuary.org. That's interfaithcommunitysanctuary.org. And then, of course, for the Wednesday event at East West Bookshop, that website to go to is eastwestbookshop.com, eastwestbookshop.com. Um, so, you know, another concept that we have touched upon, and I really loved your approach, and I'm going to share another quote just because I pulled so many quotes. I love this book. Um, but it's around surrender. Um, and so I, I would love to just share this one particular quote that really stood out to me around surrender because it's a concept that I think, number one, it's a little, at least for me, it's been a little bit slippery. What exactly is it? And then number two, what does it really look like in a human life? And then number three, I think for some people, it's kind of a hard concept um, to think about surrendering and leaving your control to something or someone else. So you write that. Surrender of the sense of separation does not mean extinction of the individual. It means that the activity of the divine can now flow freely through that individual without the inner conflict of will. Surrender is letting go of our resistance to take the step, speak the word, open our heart, do what we need to do to honor the inspiration of the soul that arises again and again. Surrender is a commitment we make to no longer dampen our dampen down our soul fire. It's our commitment to thrive. Surrender is the yes we say to our self with the big S. I just Mm. love that. (laughs) Mm -mm. Yeah, sometimes I hear these passages from the book and I think, wow, did did I write that? That sounds pretty good. um, Yeah, you know, surrender is a little bit mysterious um, because there's the... Association, you know, that people have with um, defeat, you know, um, 
or they don't know how to surrender. You know, I, you know, people feel like they're kind of stuck and, you know, I'd like to surrender, but I don't know how. So one of the things I share is, um, you know, besides understanding that what you just read, you know, that surrenders really are yes to cooperating with the infinite. It's really about, you know, letting go of the struggle of having to do it all on our own. Um, I just sort of advise people to to take what I call the backdoor approach into surrender, um, which is to notice, you know, where you're struggling in your life, um, and in particular, where you feel like your life is a burden. Um, and then just ask yourself, you know, what would it be like if I let go of this as a burden? Um, if I no longer, you know, held that this, whatever it is that's occurring in my life that may be difficult, but what if I let go of carrying it as a burden? And if we're able to do that, that's actually surrender. (laughs) So just to, to be able to let it go and enter into um, an awareness that you are actually being supported, you know, each moment of every day. Yes, and you mentioned a, a few moments ago that a quote from Einstein about um, not being able to solve a problem with the original mindset that created it. And one of my other favorite quotes that's often attributed to Einstein is the most important question we can ask is whether we believe it is a friendly universe. And I think surrender becomes so much easier um, when I began to believe, and it kind of faked it till I made, till I made it approach, mm-hmm. um, but that, yes, once if you believe it is a friendly universe, a benevolent um, higher power or intelligence out there, then if we do surrender, it just feels like falling into the arms of something that's very comforting. And so, yes, I, I just love this idea of surrender and giving up a burden that perhaps we, we ourselves are having a hard time handling or yeah. not seeing it. And you, you know, Sunny, <laughs> you really, um, identified one of the crux points, you know, that can make surrender, um, difficult, yeah. which is, um, usually some old ideas, you know, about our relationship with God or with the infinite that somehow, you know, um, it gets back to what we were talking about earlier, you know, like what if what God wants is not what I want. Right. So it, that's the that's the problem with with surrender as well. So sometimes, you know, it can be helped along by doing some some good, um, analysis of, you know, how we view the infinite and, you know, do we have old ideas that don't even belong to us, um, about our relationship with our, you know, higher power. Exactly. And I think that's a beautiful place to bring our show to a close. I can't believe our hour has gone by so quickly, (laughs) but we have been joined today by Ellen Grace O'Brien. Actually, it's Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien. You can find out more about her at ellengraceobrien.com. The book is The Jewel of Abundance, Finding Prosperity Through the Ancient Wisdom of Yoga. And please don't forget to join uh, Yogacharya O'Brien as she will be in Seattle on March 11th and March 13th at the, uh, oh goodness, I've got, let me look at my notes to get this name right, the Interfaith Community Sanctuary on Monday, March 11th and East West Bookshop on Wednesday, March 13th. Um, Thank you so much for being here today. 
Thank you, Sunny, and my thanks to all of your listeners. And I'm really looking forward to being there in Seattle, and I look forward to meeting many of you. So thanks for this opportunity. Absolutely, and thank you all out there for joining us here today. You have been listening to Sunny in Seattle. I'm your host, Sunny Joy, signing off. See you next week.